0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Smattering, where we ask the hard questions about investing. I'm Jason Hall. And unfortunately, I'm not joined by Jeff Santoro, the voice of the people right here, at least not in this introduction. The good news is that he is going to be in the rest of the podcast. Last week, Jeff and I were lucky enough to sit down and have a great conversation with one of my favorite people in FinTwits and in the investing world, and just in general, and that's Brian Feroldi of Long Term Mindset. So, stay tuned for that coming up next. I hope you really enjoy it. We'll see you on the other side, Brian Feroldi, buddy. I am so happy to have you on the podcast with us. Welcome.
1: Thank you. I've been uh, listening for quite some time now. I've I enjoyed many of your episodes. So fun to be on this side of the microphone.
0: Yeah, it's good. To, good to have you on that side too. That's for sure. So the, here's the way that I want to structure this. So, you know, I've I've had the 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 fortune to to know you as a colleague and know a little bit of your history, and I don't know a lot of people that know you as Ryan Feroldi of Long Term Mindset, the courses that you guys do, the book you wrote, Why the Stock Market Goes Up, like all of all of those things. I don't know if people really know all of the story, and as a starting point, I would I would kind of like to go back there. So even before you and I have done some work together for the Motley Fool, that's how you and I got to know each other. I want to go before that though, Brian, and let's talk about how you got from there to, how, how did you get from being just a regular person that's not investing, that's not an expert in this stuff, to getting into the industry, to writing, and to now doing what you're doing to help so many people?
1: Sure. Yep. Yeah. So I was, when I graduated from college in 2004, I had no interest in investing, no interest in anything that I'm, I'm doing now. And I think a big reason why is I was never exposed to it in any meaningful way. I had no clue how the stock market worked. I knew that it went up and down. I knew that some people talked about it sometimes. I knew that it was the boring part of the news, um, but I didn't know much about it at all. The way that I got into the stock market was through the, the, the catalyst was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Uh, I read that book in 2004 after I graduated from, from, from college, and it was the, the first book. I ever read that introduced concepts to me like everyone's in business for themselves. Your house isn't an asset. It's a liability. The rich think about money differently. The rich can build wealth in one generation. And all these concepts that are in hindsight, simple and almost almost obvious, but they they crystallized this idea that I'd never, never had before about, about money. Prior to that, Money to me was something you worked for and then something you spent. And that was that was that was money. And the the whole idea of of using your money to build wealth was a complete foreign concept to me. And I say that as someone that graduated with a business degree, right? Business degree. So when I started, if you if you read Rich Dad Dad, Portad or that book at all, and by the way, many things I disagree with that book now, but it was the catalyst. That, that got me interested. That just kickstarted a love affair with everything, personal finance, everything investing. And I started looking at real estate. Quick, it was like, nope, not for me. That's just not my asset class. I looked at gold and commodities and I kind of settled on the stock market, read The Motley Fool Investment Guide back in like 2005, started reading articles on, on fool.com and just slowly but surely became super interested In the stock market, and just have felt ever since then, the stock market is the asset class that most attracts me.
0: Well, I think that's really important because obviously, people watching this podcast are going to feel some affinity for what you're saying, and they're going to they're going to agree with a lot of that. But I think the point that I really want to stress here is the reason that's the case. You mentioned real estate; that's an asset class that's not necessarily very attainable by by most people. Most people can't just go buy another property or buy an office building or something like that. They just don't have the, the resources to be able to do it, financial or expertise to do it. But the nice thing about stocks is whatever disposable income you have, it's enough, right? What, how, however small that number is, it's, it's enough. And that opportunity to participate in capitalism, I think, is such a, a powerful thing. But let's talk about that transition to, to starting to help other people invest better, the Motley Fool's tagline for a long time. And you know, moving from that to seeing other opportunities beyond just contributing to The Fool, but things that you can do to have a, I guess you could say almost a, more of a direct impact. What was that transition look like? How did you go from just writing articles for, for fool.com and going on the live stream and being really engaged on social media to deciding to write a book?
1: Well I actually think the transition from doing what I was doing previous to being a writer for the Motley Fool was far bigger than going from an R writer for the Motley Fool to actually to writing a book. So my career started I spent 10 years in medical device sales and and marketing. And when you establish a career of any kind, it's damn hard to switch to an entirely different industry. When I when I started writing for the Motley Fool, it was 20 2015. And at the time, I had a mortgage. I had three kids, right? I had a really good income from my prior life, but it wasn't what I was interested in. What I discovered about myself is I was interested in writing about and talking about and making money somehow from from, uh, the stock market. So the way that I got a job with The Motley Fool was the way I think that many people get a job with The Motley Fool is you contribute on the boards and be an active member of the community for years, mm-hmm. which I did. And many of the people that they they hire to be writers started out as that path. So they, they saw, well, clearly this guy is super interested and passionate about this stuff. He's been writing for us for free for years on the discussion right. boards. So I was able to make the, the the hop to being a writer. And that was a massive, massive transition. From there, it was just a matter of, Volume. I wrote for the Motley Fool for six years, from 2015 to pretty much 2020. Geez, 2022, I would say, was what I really stopped stopped uh, writing for them in in a big way. But I, to answer your question about the, the book, I never thought of myself as a writer ever. Like I was yeah. bad at English, bad at grammar. I weep for my very first editors at the Motley Fool because I'm sure they were like laughing at like what I would send them. But thank one of, God it wasn't you because I know one what of my kind favorite of editor little, you are, Jason.
0: <laughs> one of my favorite little little kind of anecdotes about you, Brian, is that your username on the Motley Fool boards was actually typo misspelled.
1: Misspelled, yeah. Right. Yeah. It's very it apropos.
0: Absolutely <laughs> glorious. But I think one of the things that that has kind of helped your success, and I want to mention this because this was important to me too, because you and I actually have a pretty similar history, right? Starting out is really, really, Jeff, you too, starting out as really, really hyper-interested amateurs and leveraging other things that we were experts in. And for yourself, coming from the, the the medical industry, medical device industry, you leveraged that subject matter expert expertise that you had to focus on that in your writing career. And I was able to leverage some of the things that I knew from my prior career in a similar way. And I, But I think there's an important lesson there is because People find things in their life that they're really interested in and that maybe give them more satisfaction than what they're doing now that's just the paycheck. But there's that fear of making the jump because of everything you talked about, all those responsibilities you have, walking away from the known and a very comfortable known to jump into something that can be really scary for you. And if you think it's scary for you, it can be even more scary for your spouse because they're not remotely interested in it. My wife has no interest in stock picking. But she knows I was making really good money before. What the hell (laughs) are you doing to our family going through that? But I I wanted to mention that, Brian, because I think it's important that I don't think you and I are necessarily outliers, and and Jeff to a lesser degree, because you're smart enough to stay with a job that gives you fulfillment and that you know you create value, and keep this as a really fun side hustle. But but I think that I think more people should lean into leveraging something that they're really good at that can help them generate an income and doing something that maybe they're more interested in. And maybe it's more in Jeff's style of doing it, right? Where you start off doing it on the side, doing it because it's fun and you can still focus on the thing that you love, them, or the thing that pays you the most and focusing in a different way on the thing that, that you love the most.
2: Yeah, I'll just jump in real quick because my, we all have a very similar sort of path to where we are now in the sense that it started through writing on the boards of The Motley Fool. But for me, it was just, I guess the lesson I would take away from all of this, I think probably all for all three of us is like jump in and do the things. And then typically more opportunities come your way just because you're in the right place at the right time and, and people see your passion and things like that. So I think that's applicable to anything. You know, if you find something you like that's outside your career path, take the time to invest in it. And I think more often than not, opportunities arise from those chances you take, even if you don't leave your career and switch careers and that kind of stuff.
1: We all love investing in companies with optionality, right? Those that have a core thing and they experiment on the side. I mean, that's same principle applies to your career.
0: Yeah. Create some optionality for yourself. I love that. I love that. All right. Back to the, back to the book.
1: Sure. So never fancied myself to be a writer. If you were to tell me my graduating self from high school, you're going to write a book one day, I would have laughed in your face because I hated English class more than any other class in, in, in school. And I still find the writing process to be, I don't feel like, I'm not drawn to writing the way that many people are, are just naturally drawn to writing. So why the heck did I write a book? Well, I had in my head, I had this question in my head for for years. I I love investing books. I've read maybe a hundred at this point. I just absolutely love them. Many of them say the exact same thing, right? Save money dollar cost average into index funds the market goes up 10 percent per year you'll have a big smile on your face at the end the end right that's the gist of many great in in, investing books the question that i had as a beginner that was i understand that the market has gone i never understood why that happened Right. Nobody, no book I read ever explained that concept to me. And I remember reading one saying, even the mindset, yes, the market falls. It happens all the time, but it always comes back. It was never explained to me why. Why does the market come back? I understand. People, I think, get why the market falls. It it never made sense to me why the market recovered from a, a fall. And I just wondered for years, why didn't, why, what, why didn't any book exist that explained why the market goes up and why the market all, always historically has recovered from falls? I just decided one day, well, maybe I'm the person that's supposed to write the damn thing. So I, I, I pitched a couple of friends of mine that the, the the owners of the Choose FI podcast. They have a little mm. publishing uh, company and they said, great, let's do it. And this was also during covid so it was a good time to spend some time. I, I had the time to to actually write that. Yeah, right.
0: Right. Well, again, the name of the book, Why Does the Stock Market Go Up? There's more to the name, but that's all I'm going to share. If you go in the show notes, we'll have the link there to it from, on Amazon. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's available in Kindle and paperback and probably hardcover too,
1: right? Yep. And, and audiobook. Yep. Audiobook. It, it, it is. There you go. Yep. And it was designed to be, it's at the fifth grade reading level and, and below. I designed it to be super easy to read. In fact, some of the negative comments I've gotten about it is it was over too fast. Like I was like, well, that was by design. So you're welcome. Hey,
2: Hey, hey, Jason, Jason will be able to help you with it.
0: I'll help you with it, Jeff. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So let's, let's pivot a little bit because you've, you've, you know, you, you've evolved even further with long-term mindset, which is what you're doing now. And of course, a lot of us that know what you're doing have a lot of fun at the expense of yourself and your two colleagues that are working on this, the three Bryans, of course, yourself, Brian Froldi, Brian Stoffel, who's been working with you on it for a while and more recently joined you. Some of you and I both have known for a very long time. That's Brian Withers. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about how you transitioned and, and what drove you to make the decision that you wanted to build something of your own that you were focusing on with long-term mindset?
1: So it would be the exact same way that I became a writer for The Fool. It was an, an accident and a more of a side project that kind of took on a life of its, of its own. I didn't have a master plan uh, a couple of years ago. The, the way that it worked, Jason, you'll, you'll know this well, when the pandemic happened, The Motley Fool wisely launched Motley Fool Live. And that was actually pretty nerve-wracking at the time, the idea that we'd be on video and we'd be doing um, audio because it's a completely different skill set, a completely different feel to be talking and being on camera than it is to be typing, right? Even if the same number of people on the end are the same, it just feels differently to be to be in an uh, audio or video. Uh, it's formative. a lot
0: easier to be witty and clever yes. as a writer with when you editors. can think about it and edit yeah. yourself
1: ahead of time. Yes. 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 <laughs> so that was a that was a. Good transition. I ended up at one point. I was doing like twenty hours a week of live streaming for them in the teeth of the pandemic, and that was wonderful training. And when when it first started, they were they were like, well, I think it's, like it started at eight a.m. and it went till like eight p.m. So they literally had like twelve hours of content, of video content that they were making per day. So when it first started and they were figuring things out, they were hungry for ideas. So if you had an idea for, hey, we could do this, they just said, sure, let's do it. Here's your, here's your time slot. Well, one of the ideas that me and Brian Stoffel came up with was what we called stocks from scratch, which was we took a company we did not know and over the course of an hour showed you the process of how we would research that company from from scratch. And the goal was beginning hour, we Absolutely nothing about the company. By the end, we can at least form an, a thesis or an opinion on the company based on reading SEC filings, looking at the investor presentations, looking at the inside ownership, judging management, et cetera. I thought it was one of the best things on, on Full Live. If, when I, if I was a new investor, that's exactly what I would want to see. Like, show me how to do the research because I don't know how to even click the buttons, let alone yeah. like interpret what you see on the screen.
0: Well, the the old the old adage from the Bible, right? You know, give give someone a fish or teach them how to fish. And you're talking about teaching people how to fish.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So I love that. And it became more than anything, an excuse to talk to Brian Stoffel every week, like just just flat out. It became an excuse to do that. Well, over time, that evolved and they, you know, they they changed the formatting and essentially we got canceled is, is the easy way of saying it. And we said, well, we just want an excuse to talk to each other. So so we're going to take this thing that we're doing and we're just going to take it to YouTube. And that was the start of what we were doing. So we just started doing it on YouTube and it was still in the teeth of the pandemic. So the channel grew uh, fairly quickly right out of the gate and the growth was good. And we had sponsors reaching out to us to be like, hey, can we sponsor your show? And we we're like, I have no idea how to do any of that. But suddenly this like side hobby was actually generating revenue. Uh, for us. And at the same time, I was putting a lot of effort into growing my Twitter account because I was writing the book. So I was growing an audience because I needed an audience to, to be interested in the book on the tail end of it. And it's kind of accidentally along that way of growing an audience that I discovered that you can actually generate an income once you have an audience if you do these things. And over the last three years, I've just been discovering different ways to develop to trade income from from an audience while continuing to grow the audience, so it was uh, totally an an accident uh, essentially that what uh, what what my career has become.
2: I I want to just jump in because it's so funny. Like I was, um, I joined the Motley Fool as a member in May of 2020. So because I got in, I got obsessed with investing during the pandemic. Like that was my hobby. To like all the reading that you did, Brian, I did in 2020, trying to as I became interested in it. But all those early, epi- you know, whatever you want to call them, shows on Motley Fool Live, like the one, the, the Stocks from Scratch that you and Brian Stoffel did, and all of the ones that were geared towards either learning how to learn about companies or just go- diving into specific companies as like a new investor and a new member were super helpful. And I ate all that up and watched a ton of it as much as I could. And I I actually think looking back, like that's probably the genesis of like why I reached out to Jason to start the podcast too because like you were saying, I got to do some of the live stream at the tail end of it the last couple of years before it really got pared down to just a few hours. And it really was good training, but it was also, it got my creative juices going too. I think like you were saying of like, this is something that I want to keep doing and keep sharing with people and helping people and that kind of a thing. So it it, it was really helpful to me. I just wanted to tell you that. So I'm glad you guys are still doing so it. So what
1: you're saying is I'm one of the co-founders of the Smattering, is that what you're pretty saying? much? No, yeah, no, no, pretty much. That's I'll that's give you exactly my address. so You can send me my royalty checks for you're a, you're a, you're
0: what we call a pre co-founder.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, don't I'll hold also... your breath for the royalty checks, Brian. They're not. A... Yeah. <laughs> I'm also saying that without saying that. Yes.
1: Yeah, but,
0: but I'll, I want to second what Jeff said. I I agree. But, and I think a big part of it is, and this is part of of what the value that you're creating. And I do want to share with, with folks a little bit about what long-term mindset really is. But it's our, our you know, our kind of our tagline is, you know, we ask the hard questions about investing and we give our answers, but it's up to the people that are listening to us or reading us, reading our our newsletter, watching the videos. People have got to find their own answers for those things. And we're trying to give people the tools to figure out the questions, to ask, to come up with their own answers. So let's talk about with long-term mindset, all of the different things that you're, that you are doing for your subscribers.
1: So if you, I mean, there's a number of different business models that you can take. If you want to be in the investing content business, I can't tell you how many times I've received direct messages from people asking me if I would start my own stock picking service or in or, or something like that that's one business model that you can do it's never appealed to me to be paid to make to make recommendations but to there's some say, some
0: really there's some really good shops that are already doing that why compete with them
1: that's that's one reason why i i i feel that way in another way i don't want to and i who knows what could happen in the future but that that doesn't that doesn't appeal to me right yeah. now but to what you said before i'm I'm trim- I think I'm a natural teacher like I just really like teaching and the idea of starting a company that focuses on the teaching you how to fish teaching you how to to invest is something that really appeals uh, appeals uh, to me so what 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 the, what the company is is essentially it's a financial education company focused for right now at least on teaching people how to invest in individual stocks so we have developed a couple of of courses that we do live cohort based courses that teach people a couple specific areas of how to how to invest the first one we did that we created is called financial statements explained simply and we teach people how to find read and interpret financial statements which is obviously a critical skill if you're going to be an investor, but financial statements can also be very confusing. They, they change from company to company. The terms are, are not the same. The definitions are not the same. And we, we started a, it's a three week course where we go over all the financial statements. We do lots of examples and we pick up real world companies and dissect, show, teach people how to dissect financial statements in, in real time. And that's been something that's been tremendously beneficial for both people that have taken it as well, as well as us. At, at the end of that course, one thing we do is we say, what other content are you interested in us, in learning about? And the second, the number one most requested thing was how to value a company and about valuation. Uh, so we've created a second course that teaches people the various ways, the various methods that people can use to value, value businesses, as well as the, the pros and cons of, of each methodology, as well as how to even think about, about, about valuation. And we have another one in the works. But we were very interested in basically helping people to understand the research and investment process. So let's talk
0: a little bit about those things that you do. And you talked about, these are things that you feel you're a natural teacher. These are things that you enjoy doing, but what is the one aspect of all of the various things that you, that you do, whether it's the behind the scenes things, the things that you do directly with your, your subscribers or your followers. What what is the thing that you really just absolutely get the most out of?
1: Well, it sounds like you're asking me for my personal mission statement, which has changed a, a little bit, but essentially boiled and they down, they should change. They yep, should. I think it's, it has it, it evolved. Has it's it's to demystify the stock market, is essentially what I'm what I'm what, what the the north star is for all the content that I create, both the free content and the paid content. It's demystifying the stock market so that if you have an interest in in learning about it, you can you can un, you can essentially. Get the information that's in my brain, which I've learned the hard way over the last 20 years, far faster than it took me to get it.
2: Yeah. Learn from other people's mistakes. That is my my best of advice. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Spe- Speaking of that, Brian, this is one thing I've been wondering as I was thinking about this interview. One thing I've noticed in doing this, the podcast with Jason just over the past almost a year now is you know, we talk so much about the challenges and the hard questions about investing. And then like, on the side, I'm still figuring myself out as an investor because I didn't buy my first stock, well, individual stock until 2020. So I'm still new. So I'm curious, like as you've, over the course of like everything you've done, like getting into investing, for, As I know you made a lot of mistakes as like a beginner beginner. I, I've read about those on social media and stuff, but just in the past couple of years, right, as you've transitioned from like contributor at The Motley Fool to book author, to business owner, to course, you know, course operator for, For teaching other people, what things have changed in your own personal investing, if anything, over the course of that time?
1: So, the philosophy and the strategies that I use were, I would say, really crystallized, to to use a word, in about 2016. At that point, I had been investing for about 10 years, but I didn't have a process that was fully formed, I didn't have a checklist that was fully formed, I didn't have an asset allocation strategy that was fully formed um in until about that point uh, however one thing that i that i've done ever since i essentially started earning a a real paycheck was I, i've i've always been the type of person that's kept my personal finances as conservative as they possibly could be i've i have zero debt to my name i have a 6 plus month emergency fund at this point my my household has always had multiple sources of income my household has always had a high a high savings rate, and though I think that that is actually the bedrock of my of my investing strategy simply because my my personal financial situation is so ridiculously conservative that I can ta- I can essentially be a hundred percent equities all the, all the time, and the volatility that I experience in the stock market, which as you guys know, has been something else over the last over the last couple of years, I can withstand that. Uh, emotionally and financially, in part, because I don't use leverage, I avoid options, I avoid all the big mistakes that people made. But more importantly, if my portfolio fell 50% tomorrow, right, it would suck, but it would in no way impact my day-to-day life because my personal financial situation is so ridiculously conservative, so I would say that's that's actually a core principle that I've had this entire time, even if my investing principles and philosophy has has evolved over time
0: i want to I want a Charlie Munger inversion principle that prime because I think there's another side of it too, because you talked about how if your portfolio got smacked, it wouldn't affect your your personal life. but I think there's another part of it too, and that's if something happened in your real world life mm-hmm. It wouldn't affect your portfolio. I think that is massively important because so many people do put themselves in a situation where they they're over leveraged to a single income. They haven't built up a personal savings for emergencies, and then they have credit card, like all those things. And then and then all it takes is one point of failure, right? One point of failure, and. You lose your job, right, and guess what? you lost your job, and there's also a recession, and the market's down, and you don't have spare cash and now you have to sell ten thousand dollars from your 401 k and six months ago it would have been twenty thousand dollars and oh, it's also income this year, and oh, you also have to pay a twenty percent penalty on top of that, and it compounds and compounds and compounds, right so I'm really glad you you said that, Brian, because that holistic idea of of like the foundation of your financial life is something that I don't think enough people get exposed to as investors for all of the resources out there to help you pick great stocks and all of the mind stuff to help you like think about like the realities of the market being volatility. And even your book that tries to explain some of the ideas of why the market does what it does. They don't matter if you don't have a couple months of savings and you have some sort of like anti-fragility in your sources of income, because you're going to end up getting exposed. Right? It's it's inevitable. It's it's going to happen. So I'm glad you, I'm glad you brought that up.
1: I I really like the way that you you phrased it. How uh, it works in in reverse too. I hadn't thought about that, but that was surprisingly poignant. Jason, well done. But Occ- yeah,
0: occasionally occasionally I can even sound clever as a as a speaker. You, you su- surprisingly poignant <laughs> is, is a good way to describe Jason generally. <laughs> If I was in a band, that would be the name of my that's band. A that's a good band one.
2: name. That's surprisingly poignant. I
0: like that. All right. Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, Ryan. you might not know, but Jeff, Jeff has a collection on his phone of when he hears a phrase that's going to be a good band name, That, that and I'm guessing surprisingly poignant is going to go on that list. That's pretty good. Excellent. That's a good yeah. one. Yeah.
1: Please add it. When you look at like content creators in general, especially people that are interested in stocks like we, like we are, I don't think they'd zoom out enough to be like, how, how does this fit into your life? Your financial life i have a financial order of operations that i created that i post regularly on on twitter and to me i I love stocks i love investing in my taxable brokerage account that's step 13 on my financial wellness financial wellness order of of operations and to me what that presupposes that you've knocked out one through 12. but one through 12 are actually hard (laughs) there's a lot of work a lot of work to, to do there so if somebody comes to me and says what stock should i buy I think the correct answer is, well, do you have a monthly budget? Do you know your net worth? Do you have insurance coverage? Have you had have you, you an have emergency fund? Those things come much more important questions than what do you think of Netflix after earnings?
2: Yeah, it's, I, I've seen you post that before, and I think that's, that's great. It, it's also, it, it's, it, what I like about what, what you guys are doing is it's a nice intersection, I think, between personal finance and investing. And I don't know that we often enough talk about how those two things have to be interrelated or you will blow yourself up at some point. So yeah, I think that's super, super helpful for people. Maybe we can remember to link that in our show notes to that specifically.
1: And and the two of them are tied at the hip, right? Yeah. I, I think that they they they're your financial life is your financial life. Investing is something that we all love, but it's a part of your financial life. It isn't it isn't the only thing the only thing that matters.
0: Let's let's talk a little bit about again, drawing the kind of drawing the circle between going back 15 years, almost 20 years ago now at this point when you first picked up rich dad, poor dad to now and everything that's changed. So what's good and bad? Maybe we'll start with the bad. What in your observations, what what do you, what do you see that's changed since you first started as an investor to the to the bad?
1: So it's, it's going to be a good, but it's going to have a bad side effect. Yeah. And that is when I started investing, the broker that I, that I picked was the low cost broker. It was I Scott know, trade. I know what you're going to say. And it was $7 <laughs> per trade. And that was by far the cheapest thing on the market. It's, it's the reason that I went with them. And $7 doesn't sound like a lot of money, but when you're playing with $500, like I was in the beginning. $7 is quite a bit to, to buy or sell anything. If you're buying in $100 increments, right? You got a $14, 14% drag that you have to overcome just to break even, let alone taxes or, or anything like that. In 2012, I switched brokers from Scott Trade to interactive brokers because interactive brokers at the time was $1 mm-hmm. per trade. And I was like, well, that's a hell of a lot better. That's a huge difference, and of course, with the rise of Robinhood, that number's been taken all the way down to zero. So that is an absolute blessing. It's an amazing amount of money that has been transferred from Wall Street to, to individual investors with the collapse in, in, in brokerage fees. But there's a downside, as, as you guys know, when things, get, when things get easier and when things are free, they get used a hell of a lot more, and it becomes no big deal are very, very easy. And you can justify trading to yourself because there's there's much less friction to, to doing so. When you combine that with the rise of TikTok, YouTube, Twitter, I would say it's harder now to be a long-term investor than it has been historically if you pay attention to those things. So like anything, with with any, with any good, there's also a bad. In fact, it's been floated. If somebody said, I'm going to start a broker and charge $100 per trade, and that's going to be the key feature of the broker. It's like that's actually not a bad idea. You would get zero customers, but the customers that you did have would do very well.
0: <laughs> well, d- directionally, it's it's you're you're spot on, and I want to tie something to that too. And that's and that's uh, fractional investing, the ability to invest one dollar into a stock or ten dollars mm-hmm. into a stock. It doesn't matter what the stock price trades for. That I I agree. It's it's definitely some good and some unintended consequences and something jeff and i we we've, we've talked about this a lot again is thinking about frameworks and how healthy it is to take effort to build the the word that you used to build friction into your process because if you're investing success with a stock comes down to minutes days or minutes hours or even days of, as to when you execute the trade man you're you're working way too hard and you're probably costing yourself a lot more in wasted time. And then all of the other things we talk about with tax inefficiency, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all of, all of those things that add up that just don't pan out for regular retail down the street, regular Joe and Josephine investors. I think you're a hundred percent right. Now, here's my question for you about both of those things. I'm curious your opinion. Do you think in the aggregates, do you think those two things combined are a net benefit for for the average investor.
1: Oh, yes. Massively. It's not even yeah. close. Just because uh, of
0: accessibility, right?
1: Yeah. You can you can go on almost any big broker now, and you can invest $5 per month into a broad-based in- index fund for essentially $0 and get exposure to the stock market in a way that would be unimaginable 30, 30 years ago. Uh, in addition, uh, to that you can go on your favorite social media platform, any of them. and if you do a little bit of work, you can find super knowledgeable high quality people that expound good information on a regular basis and you can go deep to to your heart's desire and learn an incredible amount about 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 any about any topic that relates to investing. Those are just such massive massive advantage. I mean think about this, Jason. When, when I first started in investing, it was like, how, how would I listen to a conference call? Yeah. I, right. I don't know. Right. I have no idea how I would do it.
0: Yeah. yeah. Now and the internet, can, the internet wasn't, littered with, wasn't littered with transcripts the way it is now.
1: Right. And now for free, I can read a transcript within a couple of hours of that call being completed and have all the same information that was hidden from, hidden from individual investors' view not that long ago. Right. Uh, So investors have never had it better than, than it is today. But that convenience does come with other other negatives. But the net net is overwhelmingly positive. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to do's, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals.
2: Yeah. I want to, I want to echo that as someone who started buying stocks right when trading went to zero and also right when fractional shares became pretty widely available. My first in February of 2020, I opened a Robinhood account with $50 and I spent about two months just obsessively opening the stupid app and watching all the numbers <laughs> change. And I know people say you shouldn't do that. I actually think it's, I disagree with that. I think you, you could and can do that when you're a beginner, as long as you're not doing it with like tens of thousands of dollars. And But like I had, so I had zero commissions on Robinhood, but they didn't have fractional shares yet. So I was kind of forced to buy penny stocks essentially because I had like $50 in total and I couldn't buy Apple. You I could not you, you chose to buy that crap. Test. No, because I didn't, I, I really, I couldn't, I had no, it was like, I, I wasn't going to put all 50 in one thing because I was so brand new. But that ability to like screw around with ze- almost zero actual risk to my life, like, okay, I can lose. I can, I'm a middle aged man with a full time job. I can lose 50 bucks, you know? So like I could really play around and like try this and sell that and see what happens. And um, I learned a, a lot really quickly. Now, thank God I found like good advice after that to sort of figure out all the things I was doing wrong. And I didn't, I didn't get overconfident and start putting more money in and penny trade trading penny stocks. But I can't imagine how I would have approached this in like that because I, I'm, I work in education. I know how learning works. You, the best way to learn is to do. Mm-hmm. So if I couldn't have done it, if I was just, if I logged on and it was a $7 trade and I, I wouldn't have wanted to put a lot of money in it first and I didn't have fractional shares, I probably just been like, nah, I'm out. That might have been the end of it. So yeah, I agree. It's, it's a net net positive probably. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about let's talk about social media
0: and investing because that's something again, Brian. You know that's basically you know two thousand four, two thousand five, two thousand six. That was like the birth of social media. It was just beginning, and you think about social media for us and what we do. Again, on on the other side of the the screen, on the other side of the keyboard, so to speak, is critically important. I think it's how we've all built our audiences. My guess is that the majority of the people that are listening to this podcast, they found us on Twitter. Brian, long-term mindset, you built it largely on social media. So I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts about social media and kind of the pros and cons is for, for investors, for people that are trying to figure out, answer these financial questions. How do you think about it? Again, trying to temper it with how valuable and important it is to the business that you've built. built. Mm-hmm think about it from somebody that's on the other side that's trying to leverage it as a consumer.
1: I mostly think it's, I mostly, I mostly think it's a positive. I think it's, it's a net positive. There are certainly downsides to, to any technology and social media is, is no different. But uh, I'll ask you this. Did, do you think that the Motley Fool's discussion boards were positive to your life or negative to your life?
0: Life-changing. Life life changing. You, you and I can both say that, right? Because Ditto. that's what's led us down the path
1: Life-changing. That
0: we're on, yeah. Well,
1: life-changing. It's a life-changing experience to be on a platform that allows you to connect with and talk to other investors that are as interested in the same subject as you are. I view Twitter as essentially a public version of the Motley Fool's uh, discussion boards, and the the upside is it's free, but the downside to it being free is that the good and the bad You get what you pay in. for. Exactly. One massive benefit to being to it being a paid service, as it was for the Motley Fool's discussion boards, is there, there's no trolling, there's no negativity. Everyone was there to to help each other. It was a very positive community. A free platform like like Twitter or or YouTube or any of any of the social media platforms. They don't are you have on that Threads, Brian? Are you
0: on Threads? Are you on Threads? Blue Sky? I'm, yeah,
1: I, I, I'm on Threads. I've posted go. four <laughs> times so far. There you go.
0: That's that's three more than me. <laughs> two more than me. I'm yeah. up to two. I'm up to two. Well, Brian, I want to ask you one more question about again hindsight and then looking forward. What what hasn't changed, or maybe hasn't changed enough that you th- that you would like to see change more, or maybe in a different direction?
1: Human nature. Well, Human nature doesn't change. It's 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 so it's so it's so predictable. I I I, I often get requests to come on podcasts and do interviews and things like that. And despite all the content that I produce being about long-term this, long-term that, I still get asked about, what do you think about fill in the blank stock after earnings? What do you think about this CPI? Or what do you think about this jobs number? Or what do you think about that? To me, that's all, it's all noise. All noise. It is a, and the, the internet is filled, especially the internet, 99% of its noise it's temporary things that 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 get headlines and is 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 interesting uh, to talk about and it gets clicks but it's not signal it's not signal and i'm yeah. i'm trying my best to focus on signal. I don't care what's happened to Tesla's stock over the last 30 days. I care what's happened to Tesla's revenue over the last 5 years. That's what I'm focused on. But I totally understand why so many people are just so focused on on the noise because it's it's everywhere and you think that it has has meaning. So I don't pay attention much to the Fed. I don't pay attention to the economic data that, that comes out to me in the long run. That stuff all washes out and, and means zero. But I do. I do pay attention to the earnings reports of the companies that I own. And that, that to me is the purest form of signal. And I try and focus on that. But I don't see that changing ever because it's, it's human nature to, to focus on the noise because in investing in particular, the noise seems important. Jeff, nope. I
0: think it was Peter Lynch that said this, maybe you'll know for sure, wrote it in, I think one up on Wall Street. If you've spent, if you spend 15 seconds studying, or maybe you spend 30 seconds studying the latest economic data, you've spent 15 seconds too long or yeah. something like that, right? Yep. And,
1: yeah.
2: It, and, I was going to say, it boils down to nobody wants to get rich slowly. Like, yeah. I think that's why all the noise is appealing because everyone, especially the last couple of years when, if, I mean, if you're being honest, in 2020 and 2021, you could get rich pretty quick. So unfortunately it didn't last. But i that that that, to me, is what it is. It's everyone's looking for the trade to make right now that they can brag about in three months, and that's not how this works over the long term.
0: Brian, you mentioned signal and noise, and I, I want to pitch one of my favorite books that I think is really useful in this context, and that's Nate Silver's The Signal and the Noise, which talks so much about this, particularly in the age of the internet and also with media and pundits and people making predictions that I think is really useful to help people kind of contextualize that stuff and know how to take take it with a grain of salt when you have somebody that's giving their answer to that well after earnings for Acme company what are you thinking and it's it's the old the old saws pundits don't make predictions because they know they make them because they were asked <laughs> yep that's the key well let's that's let's do it. this we've got just a few more minutes here Brian so as a starting point I want to spend a couple minutes talking about what you're focused on the most right now with long-term mindsets and that's with your courses so what's what's going on right now that you really want to make sure people know about
1: so the thing that we have launching in a couple of weeks here is we have a cohort two of our course valuation explained simply that's when we go through the various valuation methods that investors use to come up with the valuation of business we do lots of practice we do lots of examples we have templates homework, worksheets, that kind of stuff. So if people are interested in it, that's the next thing that we are rolling out and talking about. But we have 99% of the content that, uh, that, that that we create is free. It's on YouTube, it's on Twitter, it's on Instagram, it's on it's on LinkedIn. So you can absolutely get all the information in basically from from free. But one thing that I will say cohort-based cohort, co- cohort based courses do that free content done is they provide accountability. They provide Q&A they provide community. And those things really, really help to accelerate learning the learning process. So if that interests you, you can follow me on uh, Twitter to find more information about that.
0: So Brian, we'll put it, we'll put it in the show notes for, for people and in our transcripts as well. We'll put links of these things throughout the transcript. But what are the, what are the best ways for people to find you, to find long-term mindset and to find your content?
1: So again, follow me on Twitter. And if you want to go a little bit deeper, we have a once a week, we have a a newsletter where we send out six pieces of of timeless content. So there's an an investing story in there, as well as links to some kind of historic content. Most of it's more than a year old on the internet that we think has a timeless lesson or investing principle or something like that shared. So you can just sign up for that at brianferaldi.com slash newsletter.
0: All right. That's fantastic. Brian Feroldi, once again, I want to thank you for coming on. This has been a lot of fun. Look forward to having you on again sometime soon.
1: Sounds like a plan. Congrats on making it more than a year. That's no small feat.
0: We're not quite a year yet.
1: Congrats on making it to almost a year. That's no small feat. Nice.
0: Nice. Thank you for that. Appreciate it. Hey, Jeff, buddy. We did it. We did it. All right, friends. As always, we'd love to give our answers to these hard investing questions. Have people like Brian Feroldi on to give their answers to. But it is up to you to find your answers to those questions. I believe in you. You can do it. All right, Jeff, we'll see you next time. See you next time.